0: We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equippers Church in For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Awesome, thank you. You may take a seat. And, uh, you're yeah, just standing here, thanks. Are we streaming anywhere tonight? Uh, no, cool, cool. <laughs> the Kingdom of Tonga. <laughs> All right. Malawi, So, um... Yeah, welcome welcome to the 5pm. And again, if I haven't met you, hi. Um, so as Pastor Will said, uh, Reddy, and I, my wife, uh, live in Tonga. My wife is uh, is Tongan, but she has a Maori name. It's a very long story. Uh, basically, in true Pacific styles, when she was born, she was named after an event that was happening at the time she was born. So she is named uh, Rere Rangi Te Akiwa, flying high over the Pacific Ocean, because when she was born, uh, the Maori queen came to visit Tonga. Uh, so she's Rere, or in Tongan Lele, Lele Langi, because there's no R in Tongan; and it's an L. Uh, so very confusing because people think she's Maori because she has a Maori name. Uh, but yeah, I'm just really thankful that it was an event like that that she was named after. <laughs> uh, I met a number of people in Tonga, um, chap by the name of telephony, so no guessing what was going on when he was born. Uh, My father-in-law's name was actually uh, Sione Eclipse, so again, no guesses. But my all-time favourite, and I do feel sorry for him, is the guy who ended up with the name Niloni, which is Tongan for nylon, and his full name in Tongan literally means the first nylon dress brought by the princess because that's what was going on when he was born. So who says names aren't important? So I'm really pleased I'm married to Rere, not Nilon or uh, anything else. (laughs) And uh, my wife is a lawyer by background, so she did law down here in uh, Otago. When she came down here, she got saved in this church uh, back in the, would be back in the 80s. Uh, Had a really good friend, Ate Moala, who was uh, training to be a doctor and brought her along here to church. And so the rest, as they say, is history. Um, She moved back to Auckland, started working in law, went along to a tiny little church called Auckland Apostolic Church, where there were six retired pastors and their wives and about 20 people in all. And she'd been down here at a high, you know, high visibility student church, so it was a bit of a shock. And very soon after she arrived, Pastor Bruce and Helen uh, moved from Whanganui to Auckland and took over the church. And so she, along with a guy, some I know called Connor Candler, are uh, still the originals who were there when Bruce and Helen came. Uh, She went from working in law to working at Radio Rima as the staff solicitor, and they decided that she needed to be also trained in radio announcing. I, at that time, was a radio announcer at Rima and was doing the training, so that's where we met. Uh, So yeah, so we got married, uh, decided to base uh, base ourselves at her church, which is obviously Equippers. so I've been a part of what's now Equippers since uh, 1988. 1988, not (laughs) 1888. So one of the things I love is the fact that when you stay around long enough, you get to see the church be a multi-generational church. Now, let me just say on that score, you can be around a long time and not see a church be multi-generational because people for various reasons throw their toys out of the cot and move on and you don't see generation after generation, you kind of see the church sort of potter along and flip starts and so one of the things I've discovered over the time is that if you stay around long enough you do see the church being multi-generational and I know there are people in this house already you know that's to be true because you've been here a long time and I I think that's to be applauded. I love the fact that Reddy and I used to be the youth pastors A long time ago when we had a 15-year-old by the name of Samuel and a 14-year-old by the name of Kathy uh, in the youth group who are now the senior pastors and now leading the movement. I've loved the joy of being able to, you know, conduct weddings of couples who were in the youth group and then end up dedicating their babies and then, you know, having our son end up being a youth lead, being youth led by people and he's a youth leader and, and just generation after generation. And the reason I'm encouraging you in that is that's how things are meant to be. And anybody who's been around church for any length of time, you know, that just like any family, there are times where the people around you get up your nose. You get angry, you get upset, you get offended, you get hurt, you get unmet expectations. My sad, what I find very sad in church life is that I feel like people divorce church too quickly. And I call it that quite deliberately because that's what it is. It's like, it's like if I suddenly got so offended with my relations that I decided to no longer be a Stevenson and went and joined the, went and joined the Williams family. <laughs> now, I know there are times when people, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I'm not saying we've got to stay in the one true church. No, I know there are times when God moves people on. But if we're leaving because of offense and it's unaddressed, then guess what? Wherever you go, there you are you'll take that offence with you and you'll bless the next church with that same offence undealt with. So if you're gonna leave, leave on good terms. Leave by sorting stuff out first. And who knows, And sorting stuff out, you may in fact decide to stay and then the momentum can continue because we're like any family. We have our family arguments. We get angry, we get upset, and we deal with it and move on. And if we, if we run at the first sense of offence, then what pattern are we showing to a lost and dying world? So that's nothing to do with what I wanted to preach about, but I, I just wanted to encourage you. It's, it's great. I love being around a church for a long time that is still growing, still vibrant. I mean, I, I, just, <laughs> I just love looking at the age range here, even tonight, knowing what we've sung. You know, the fact that, you know, I mean, my son writes quite a few of the songs and sometimes I'm going like, oh, okay, yeah, that's different. But it's awesome. Because it's not about me. Yeah, I I enjoy it. Yeah, there's other stuff I enjoy too when I on iTunes. But you know, I love the fact that there's life. Yes. I love the fact, I love the fact. Like one time when I was on the door at church not so long ago, and you know it was a night service and the doors were open. It was summer and there was unts, unts, unts coming from the church and these guys walked past and say, "What's going on in here?" And I said, "It's church." Nah, it's not. It's like, concert. I said, no, no, it's church. Nah. I said, go and have a look. So they went in and <laughs> they looked and looked in the doors for a while, and then they came out and said, no, that's a concert. I said, it's church. Really? Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, we, we had the phrase, church, but not as you know it. Yeah. Yeah, right. I love that fact. So, so can I just encourage you, see this as family. Yeah, right. If you're here as a student, Plant yourself here, really here, for the time that you're here. This is family. And when, not if, when you get upset and offended, deal with it. Ask God to help you deal with it. And who knows, sometimes in dealing with the offense or the person who you're upset with, it's like a marriage. You know, when you deal with your stuff, sometimes you actually draw closer to one another through the journey. But if all we do is run and hide or go away, we'll never grow. Anyway, sila. So we, we're talking about honour. Um, now you might recognise that word too from our DNA class, from our heartbeats, yeah. H-E-A-R-T. If you're new to that, then please find out about doing DNA. It's a great chance to find out what, what it is that we value as a church. But our first value is to honour. We talk about honouring in terms of honouring God's presence, His Word. Uh, lots of, and, and we're focusing on that at the moment in our series, The Honour Key and talking about it in e So I want to just build on what I talked about this morning around the area of honour. And uh, just to set the scene, one of the scriptures that we talked about this morning was that, oh, I love the way when you turn this on, it vibrates to let you know it's on. It's, yes, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. So let's, let's have a look while you're on. Um, are you working? Working. Am I pointing in the right right direction? Oh, <laughs> okay. okay. So Romans, where, where did I point that it worked? Up there, okay. Up there. Okay. Romans 12.10, and this is Paul writing to the church at Rome and he talks about honour, and we mentioned this, I just want to springboard off this. He talks about honour one another above yourselves. So he's saying to a church, when you look at one another, honour the other person above yourself. That's pretty tough, isn't it? I mean, we're basically saying put other people ahead of us. I mean, do you find that easy? And, and when we're talking about honour, what is, what is Paul actually meaning? And I, I just talked a bit about this this morning. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we're talking about honour as it relates to something of value. We're used to seeing things of value and and believing what we're told about how valuable they are. And again, I talked this morning, I could tell you that it's a piece of gut gut glass. It's a piece of cut glass, and it's of very little value. Or I could tell you it's an incredibly expensive diamond. It, It could be, you know, bazillions of carrots and worth millions of dollars. You don't really know. All you're relying on is what I tell you about what it's worth. And unless you know better, you've got no option but to accept the assigned value that I give that. Now, here's how it works with God. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. when, we, when we read that word honor in the Bible, what we're actually seeing, and this is my sort of paraphrase of the word honor, from the foundation that the value of every person is fixed, God has fixed it. You, don't, you and I don't decide how valuable the person sitting next to you is, it's already been fixed. The value has been assigned by God. Why? Because he's made that person just like you in his image. So the fact that everybody is made in his image, regardless of what they do or do not do, they are worthy of honor. They don't have to. The people people we're in fellowship with, they don't have to do anything to deserve our honor. We give it. We don't wait for them to earn it. Why? Because the value of the person sitting next to you has already been fixed by the fact that they are made in the image of God. And that is the same for every person on the planet. Yes, even those who don't follow Jesus. Yes, even those who have a different political persuasion to you. Yes, even the people who support a different sport team to you. Yes, even the people who live a lifestyle that you don't agree with, they are all worthy of honor, not because of anything they do or don't do, but because of the fact that they're made in the image of God. And that is what Paul is encouraging too. So he says, honor one another, give preference to each other mutually and reciprocally. Let's try that again. All right, with that in mind, how many people have heard this verse before? 2 Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone said, Christ is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that encouraging? But let me ask you, have you ever thought about that Scripture in, in terms of your own life and thought, man, I wish it was that simple? Have you ever been struggling with something and, and feel like sometimes you're not sure by your own sense whether that's true for you? It's that sense of somebody says to you, Well, come on, you're a new creation in Christ. The old's gone, the new has come. It's almost like, you know, come on, get over yourself, you're fine. And, and there's truth in the scripture, but I think what happens is we lose the impact of the power of the scripture when we don't understand its connection to honor. And let me, let me just show you what, what I mean by that. Everyone done this experiment? or being a part of this experiment in primary school, or maybe it was just something back in the 60s and 70s. where We'd have this regular time. We'd get a swan plant into the classroom, and we'd get a stripy caterpillar, the chubby, you know, stripy caterpillar, and it would be on the swan plant. It would be nibbling away at the leaves. And and then eventually what's going to happen, eventually the... the uh, Caterpillar is gonna choose some stem to hang off and sort of hang upside down for a while. Now it's just a stripy caterpillar hanging upside down off a stem. And then over a while, you start to see this this green thing, this chrysalis or this cocoon forming, and eventually the caterpillar disappears, and it's just inside this little green shell, and then every, every day we're coming along to watch, to wait and see if the change start to come, and then over time the green starts to turn to sort of browny, blacky colour, and then it starts to go translucent, and then you can see this little monarch butterfly wing pattern, and, and eventually what happens? It breaks open, and out comes the monarch butterfly. is that familiar to anybody? Yeah, okay. So imagine you didn't know about that process and you saw a caterpillar and somebody said to you, one day that thing's going to fly. And you're going to think, no aerodynamics whatsoever, no wings, uh, power to weight ratio for flight, mm, ain't going to happen. But what comes out and flies away is in essence, exactly the same creature that went in there, the same chubby, stripy caterpillar. And so the scientific word we use for that is what? Metamorphosis. what does somebody have another one? (laughs) Photosynthesis? No, no. (laughs) Metamorphosis. From the Greek word metamorpho which is the word that is translated in the New Testament, transformed. So in the beginning of Romans 12, when Paul writes, don't be conformed, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but rather be metamorphosed, be mighty power ranger morphosed, be metamorphosized so that you're unrecognizable from what you once were to who you now are in Christ by the renewing of the way that you think. That's, how, that's, that's where that word comes. Now, that's an amazing transformation. That's a work that probably we're, we're still wondrous about and thinking, how, and gosh, how does changing the way that I think actually change anything? And the truth is it changes everything because everything that you're currently struggling with, everything that you do and everything that you think has its roots and a thought You don't act without thinking. So if you want to change what you're doing, it's important first to address what you're thinking. If we're all the time trying to change our behavior without changing our thinking, it's tantamount to rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It'll be tidy, but it's still sinking. And so the truth is, that what Paul says in the Scripture is so powerful, psychologists even discover it. That's why we have things like CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, start to change actions by changing how you think. Then you'll be transformed. Then you'll become that new crea- creation that the old is gone, the caterpillar is gone, and you're now a butterfly in Jesus. So that's that's at the individual level, but how does that work once we are in relationship with one another as a body of believers? I'm glad you asked. So that scripture, behold everyone is in Christ as a new creation, it 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 actually starts with a conjunction, a joining word, it actually starts with the, the, the word therefore. And if you've been to Bible college, you know that every time you find a word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask, what is it? Yeah. Therefore, okay. So it means you don't look at it in isolation. You actually read, oh, well, what was he saying just before? Because that's gonna help me understand this. Yeah. And so this is part of what goes before. I mean, there's even more, but you can read it in your own time. But here's what Paul says in his letter to the Church of Corinth. He says, for Christ's love compels us, or it's the love of Jesus that pushes us forward. Why? Because we are convinced that one died for all. So that's a reference to Jesus, the one, died for all of us. So therefore, if we accept his death to appropriate it to ourselves, then in a sense, we're all dead. The old mark is dead, when I started working at the youth justice facility in, in South Auckland, I, I was really nervous at the beginning because, I mean, you know, it was, it was pretty tough. you got working with people who don't want to go to school, who have to go to school because they're in prison, and even the ones who are old enough to leave school still have to go to school, and so you've got a, you haven't got a room full of, you know, excited learners. You've got a room full of reluctant at best learners, and some of them with, with quite a few issues around anger and authority figures and teachers in particular. And I I, I can remember having one particularly stressful day uh, where just, you know, getting through the block, the period, without, you know, somebody throwing something seemed to be a win as far as education was concerned. But on this one day, I thought, what if I get threatened? Because, you know, to be honest, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I thought, hmm, if one of them threatens to kill me, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to look him in the eye and go, you can't kill me. Because I'm already dead. <laughs> I'll probably leave off the musical, but kind of. See, the old Mark died on Motutapu Island in the Hauraki Gulf around 45 years ago. He's dead. This life that I now live, I now live for Christ. Just like you. The old Mark is gone. The old Will is dead. The old Desiree is dead. The old Nicole is dead. The old Macon is dead. The old Raquel is dead. How many people's names can I remember? (laughs) So here's the truth that Paul's getting at. One died for all, we've accepted that, therefore we're all dead. So if everyone is dead, the old has gone, then why on earth, in this fellowship, in this family, would we wanna be reminding other people of who they used to be if they're already dead? And that's the essence of what Paul is getting at in the Scripture. If one died for all, all died. So, can anyone complete this? So from now on, does anyone know the Scripture? We no longer regard one another according to the flesh. Why don't we, what does that mean? That means we no longer, oh man, I, I remember. Man, I remember, oh, man, I could tell you some things about will. <laughs> I can't actually, because I don't know. But, you know, imagine, I, I could i could remind you, I could be reminding him of what he used to be like, of the things that he used to do. I could even, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be, I could just be joking about it and all, like, oh, that problem. and Yeah, oh. you know, I could just be, and we could be ribbing one another. Like, but what's the point? Because that will doesn't exist anymore. He's dead. And what is it doing to Will if I'm constantly reminding him of what he used to be like? How many people want to be reminded of what you used to be like? I mean, it doesn't work either way. If, if you've got a bad past, you don't want to be reminded by that. And if you've got a good past, you don't want to be reminded about that because the inference is that you're no longer as good as you once were. That's why Paul says, whatever is in my past, whether I've been good, you know, or successful, I consider it... I consider it, what does he consider it? Compared to the unsurpassing knowledge of knowing Christ, I compare, compare it to, I consider it what? The stuff that you do every morning, that you pull the chain, and it disappears out to the oxidation bond. <laughs> that is the paraphrase. I cons- he says, done, we could use another word. But Paul's saying, everything I've done, even my success even my past, I can say compared to knowing Jesus, it's all done. Yeah, it's all poop. Yeah, yeah. It's all going down the gurgler. Why, you know. <laughs> come on, let's put a point on it. Yeah. Who does it in the morning gets up, turns around? I gotta have a look at that. <laughs> What's the point? No, there's only one thing to do with that, is to pull a chain. And that's in essence what we need to do with our past. Our past successes, our past failings, we're thankful for our success, but we don't keep reinvestigating it and we certainly don't go around reminding one another of what you used to be like. I mean, who could survive in that kind of environment? Maybe that's why some of you have chosen to keep a distance from certain family members. Because you know that when you get together in those gatherings, all that happens is that they remind you of what you used to be like and what you used to do. And you know what that feels like. That's hardly a restorative, pro-social, positive environment to be in, is it? And so sometimes it's, a, it's appropriate, it's wise to keep a distance from the relationships that we feel are constantly reminding us of what we lack what we aren't, what we used to be like. I mean, even Jesus suffered that. Why? Familiarity. He could do no miracles other than heal a few people from sickness in his hometown. Why? Familiarity. That's just Jesus. Who does he think he is? At a coffee table made by that guy. Ooh, Mr. da Now, imagine if there's a church where when you come into it, all people are doing is reminding you of what you used to be like. How is that going to be a redemptive, restorative environment? How is that honoring one another if all we're doing is reminding ourselves, reminding one another of what we used to be like? So Paul says, with all that in mind, therefore, or because of all that, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Now you see the context. The new creation doesn't happen in a vacuum. What he's saying is this awareness of the truth of being a new creation happens in the context of the relationship with a family that no longer just remembers what you used to be like but is honouring one another with the truth of who you're, you truly are, what your identity truly is. What does that look like? That means that when you're going through struggles, as you will, that you come into a family, you're a part of a fellowship, you're part of a church where people get around and they know that you're battling, but instead of reminding you what you're not, they declare who you truly are. Come on, you're, you're better than this. We're with you. We're going to stand with you in this. Come on, we'll do this journey with you as long as it takes. Because your true identity, you're an overcomer. You're able to deal with this. You're going to find healing and restoration for that challenge. That's what the family of God has meant. We honour one another by declaring the truth. We don't disregard the facts. And we certainly don't disregard the pain, but we don't get our identity from our past. We're not identified by our pain. We're identified by the truth of who we are in Christ. And we walk out that journey between the now and the not yet lifting up the truth of who God says we are over the facts of our circumstances until our facts and the truth line up. That's why the words that we say to one another are so important. So important. We talked this morning about the importance of our link, our relationship with one another, that the body grows by what every joint supplies, what every connection, every relationship, every conversation supplies. Sometimes it's just not avoiding saying bad things to people. It's just remembering to actually say things and not hold them back. How many times have you been in that circumstance? You have that, man, I should just man, I should give them a text. Or I should just say to them at church, da, 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 da. Oh, now it's probably just me. Who knows that that's actually a part of the strengthening of that relationship, that bond, that person's heart. It's So important. So this new creation stuff. It's, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to spit. This new creation stuff, this is not saying to you as an individual, come on. Get with the program. You're a new creation world. Come on. No, they're saying in the context of our relationships one with another, we understand the old will, the old you has died. We don't remind you of that, but we understand the truth of who we are in Christ. And when things aren't going well, we step in and we keep reminding you of who you are. That's how we work as a body. And we declare that truth. And guess what? People find healing. People find hope. People over time believe, oh my gosh, I can have. Have a different future. You're a new creation in the context of relationship with people who are holding on to the truth of your identity in Christ and reaffirming you in it every step of the way. So we honor one another with that sense of true identity. All righty. Just before I come to this, how are we doing for time? Oh, brilliant. Okay. I just want to say this is just a thought about this connection between honor and me. Because as I talked about this morning, sometimes the biggest hurdle we have in this whole idea of honor is getting over ourselves, getting over our selfness. Really, this honor question is the answer to that, or this honor honor is the answer to that question. How do I become... All that God has called me to be, and yet hold on to unity being part of a body. Let me say that again. How do I, how do I become all that God has called me to be without destroying the sense of unity that there is being part of a body? Do you know how it is? You know, sometimes we get so, so focused on who am I in God and what's God's call on my life, we, we're so much about the me that we forget the we. So how do I become all that I'm called to be by God without destroying unity? And the answer is honour. We recognize that God's called me to be something. God's called Will to be something. All of us have been called to be a part of this, and we've all got a part in it, but none of us is the whole. None of us is the complete. None of us is an island. None of us has got all the answers. We all need each other. I need you. You need me. That's why, ah, it doesn't matter if I'm not there on Sunday. Yes, it does. And I'm not talking just about bums on seats. The the essence of what you bring, the opportunity you might have to talk about is missing when you choose to be apart. So that's why when we talk about gathering together, it's not just, oh come on, we're just oh come on. No, this is it's far more important than that. This is life and death. Wake up in the morning, pancreas goes, you know, you know what, I think I'll just stay here in bed. (laughs) I think I just want to rest. So let me tell you if your pancreas stay at home yeah. thinking no one would miss it oh. the whole body yeah. would suffer yeah. I'm choosing the pancreas because most of you have got no idea what it is no idea what it does you just know if people get pancreatic cancer it's pretty much good night nurse so it's incredibly important it's a part of the body we don't we don't see we don't think about until there's a problem with it yeah. oh yes you comb your hair, you brush your teeth, you put your makeup on or whatever you need to do. But you, when was the last time you gave your pancreas a makeover? <laughs> Never thought of that. No, why? Because that's a part we don't see. It's not important. And see, that's the thing. A lot of us in the body of Christ, we kind of, we kind of think like we're a pancreas or even worse, an appendix. You can do without that. Oh, they can do without me this Sunday. No, 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 no. Come on. Come on. This is a body. This church is a body, just like your human body with a head who is Christ, and so we're called to continue to move together through our connections with one another as we're connected to the head, honoring one another along the way. All righty, let's have a bit of fun to finish. All right, we're going to finish with another way of thinking about how we honor one another, how we honor people in our world. Now, this is the first two verses from Luke chapter 15, which if you're familiar with it, is a, where Jesus tells three parables back to back. We, we sang about one of them, the leaving the 99 this, this evening. So it talks about a lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. But this is the introduction to Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, drew near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees, and scribes complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with him. Just a couple of thoughts on these two verses. Let me ask you who was gathering? Who was coming near? Who was drawing near to Jesus? Not a rhetorical question. Who was drawing near to Jesus? Hmm. I think it's really important for us today if we're seeking to be a, a body of people who honor God, honor the people we're in relationship with and honor the people in our world. Sometimes a good check to ask, who's drawing near? I don't know whether you've ever noticed it. Maybe you've heard me say this before, but I get challenged by it all the time. The fact that when you read the Gospels, Irreligious people really enjoyed being in the company of Jesus. And what's more, Jesus seemed to really enjoy their company. What challenges me as I look at what is often the picture between the body of Christ in the world today and sinners, and I don't often see drawing near. And sometimes I wonder why. Sometimes I think it's, it's no surprise why. I think sometimes we're better known as the church for what we don't do and what we're against and what we're opposed to than what we're willing to be open to and who we're willing to be open to. Jesus didn't seem to worry with the argument, oh, well, if these people are in my company, what are other people going to think? Jesus didn't seem to struggle with the idea, if I'm seen in the company of these people, am I going to be thought as being in compromise? Jesus made it clear in his ministry, I've come not for the well, I've come for the sick. I've come to seek and save those who are lost. Not hold the hand and sing kumbaya to those who think they're already found. That's my paraphrase, not really, Jesus. (laughs) So I think it's always important when we think about this concept of honor in terms of the wider context of our relationship with the world is to think about who's drawing near and who's complaining. I think who's drawing near is very important. And I think who's complaining, it's good to be aware of, but it's important to be aware that it's not important. The whole reason Jesus told these three parables is to answer these people who were complaining about the company he was keeping. Now, I know it's gone very quiet, but I want to tell you, I'm as challenged by this as you possibly are right now. But I believe if we are to be who God wants us to be in this world, then we need to understand that honor isn't just something in here. And it's not just something to God. In fact, we honor God by honoring the people he has made, and that includes the people who aren't yet in this room. And it includes the people that you already struggle with in your mind because you have a problem with how they choose to live. And you, like me, probably have the crisis of involvement you have this gnawing feeling that maybe God wants you to be involved in some areas, but you don't really want to because it's too messy and inconvenient. And I struggle with that too. But we need to learn that people are valuable not because of what they do or don't do, but because of the fact that they're made in the image of Christ and whether they acknowledge Him or not has got nothing to do with it. So with that in mind, let's look at one of the stories that Jesus told. So in parable style... There were three characters in this story, a man and two sons. All righty, time for you to do some work. We've got, to, I've been on eight minutes for a long time. Eight minutes to go, that's all right. Was that the time? No, it's 6.25, all right. Okay, so let me divide you into three. So over here, okay, down here. You are, you are group one. From you to here, you're group two. Okay, and you guys, and over here, group three. Okay, hand up, group one. Cool, hand up, group two. Cool, hands up, group three. All right, okay, I know it's late. Well, it's not really, it's only half past six. It's only halfway through the news, uh, but it's, it's time for you to get active, all right? So what we're gonna do is, you're gonna help me remind ourselves of this third parable that Jesus told about the man with two sons. So while, we're, while I'm telling this story, every time... I mention the younger brother or the younger son. I want everyone in group one to stand to your feet and yell out, Party, party, party! party, party. Cool, okay, let's try that. And the younger son, Cool, a little bit quicker would be good. And the younger son, Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, everyone in group two, every time I mention the father, you were to stand up, put your hands out in front of you and go, my son, my son, my son. <laughs> so the father. My son, my son, my son. Cool, a little bit quicker would be good. And so there was a man, a father. My son, my son, my son. Who had a younger son. <laughs> cool, now, good on you group three. No guesses who you are. You are the older brother. So every time I talk about the older brother, I want you to stand up and raise one fist in the air and declare, it's not fair dad, it's not fair dad, it's not fair dad. So there was a father. My son, my son, my son. Thank you, thank you. Well done, good attention. Who had a younger son and an older son. Yeah, don't let it tail off. Keep the anger going all the way. All right, okay. So let's have a a look at Luke chapter 15. And uh, if it matters to you, I'm reading it from the New Living Translation with a few little paraphrases for the sake of the story. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. A father had two sons, a younger son and an older son. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between the younger son and the older son. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money and wild living and watching reality television. (laughs) And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and the younger son (laughs) began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young son... Became so hungry that he looked at what the pigs were eating and they began to look that looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally had a come to Jesus moment, when he came to his senses, the younger son wait, wait, wait. said to himself, even at home, my father's hired servants have food enough to spare and I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father my son, my son, my son, my son. and I will say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your younger son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. My son, my son, my son. And while he was still a long way off, his father my son, my son, my son, my son. saw him coming. Don't worry, your time is coming, people. <laughs> Filled with love and compassion, the father my son, my son, my son. ran to the younger son embraced him and kissed him. The younger son said to him, Father, I've sinned both against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your younger son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this younger son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, everyone's saying, meanwhile, "Meanwhile, the older son was angry and wouldn't go into the party. What a holdout!" <laughs> His father came out and begged him. But he replied, in fact, who replied? The oldest son replied, not beating, not beating, not All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing for you told me, and all that time you never gave me one young goat to feast with my friends. Yet when this younger son I of yours, father, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dearest, oldest son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate this day for your younger brother, my younger son, was dead and has come back to life. He's lost, but now he's found. Give yourselves a hand. Just a couple of thoughts around the honor that's displayed in this scripture and in this parable. Let me ask you, in in that story, a Jewish way of looking at any parable would to be looking at it and say, who am I in the story? Got three characters, a father, younger son, and older son. Let me ask you, who are you in that story? In that account, who dishonored who? You could say, well, the younger son dishonored the father. Why? Because he took his inheritance and squandered it. And you'd be right. Who else dishonored? The oldest son dishonored. Why? Because he didn't reflect the love of his father for his brother. And in fact, he went even further in dishonoring his father. He basically says to his dad, I've been here and I've done everything you've asked me and you've never given me anything. Do you know what the father says in reply? Son, everything I have is yours. You've always been here with me. So what's the dishonoring here? The fact that the older brother is doing the things that seem right to do for the wrong reasons. It's all about how I look. It's all about what I get. It's not actually even about honouring his father. His father says, son, you've always been here with me. What's he saying? Doesn't being here present with me mean anything to you compared to what your brother did? All he focused on, on what he felt like he'd missed out on and the saddest thing of all, was the fathers basically saying at any point you could have had anything you wanted? But he did all the right I've always been here, I've always I've always obeyed. Hey, so where's my benefit? And when this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours comes back, having squandered the inheritance on prostitutes and wild living, <laughs> you throw a party. And who did the honouring in this story? Well, in a, in a strange sense, probably the prodigal did a certain amount of honouring. He came back without expecting any sense of restoration. He came back willing to be a servant, a slave. He came back willing to do whatever it is just to be in the presence of his dad, recognising that he didn't feel like he deserved being back in the place of a son any longer. But who did the most honouring? I believe it was the father. We know this is the story of the prodigal son, but it's actually not. It's the story of the love of the father. That's the point. The point isn't the prodigal son. The point is the love of the father. The context, the reason Jesus told these stories is because people were criticizing him for the company that he kept. How do we know that the father honored? It didn't start with the ring. It didn't start with the robe. It didn't start with the sandals. And it certainly didn't start with sacrificing Daisy on the spit. Where did his honoring start? Well, you could say it started when he was willing to release his son, knowing that he might make some bad decisions. But I believe he also, you saw a father who honored his son. When we read the words, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Let me ask you this without thinking too deeply about it. If you're gonna see someone coming home a long way or somebody coming a long way before they actually get to you, what's gotta happen? You've Gotta be looking. You don't see someone while they're still a long way off if you're not looking. Here's a father whose honor for his son who'd wandered off was so strong that even while the sun was still a long way off, even when he still wasn't in view, he was looking. I don't know how long it went on. I don't know how many days it went on. I don't know how many days the father got up and thought, maybe today, maybe today's the day. How, how many times he got up and when he stood on the high place and looked out, knowing that if his son was coming, he'd be able to see him. And, and again, another disappointment. And the next day, another disappointment, another disappointment. But he keeps going, he keeps looking, he keeps looking, he keeps looking. And then while the sun is still a long way off, he sees him, he recognises the walk, he recognises the, the profile, and, and he doesn't just stop there, he honours him, he doesn't wait for him to come. He's not lining up uh, I told you so story, he's, he's not lining up the riot act, he's not lining up any sense, he, it doesn't, in fact he doesn't even wait, it says while he's still a long way off, he runs to him, he honours the prodigal while he's still a long way off that he sees him, and then he runs to where he's at. And when he gets to him, the son starts with his rehearsed speech. The I'm no longer worthy. What does the father say? Not even a hint of, yeah, yeah, I know, you're you're so right. No hint of I told you so. What does he do? He embraces him, he kisses him. And then he restores it. So, why did Jesus tell this story? Because there were some people who had a problem with the people who were drawing near to Jesus. Jesus told these three parables, of which this is the final one, to demonstrate the heart of a father toward lost people. And I believe if we want to see our city, our nation transformed, then it's gonna require a major shift in me, in you. To take the truth of this parable and to begin a journey where we ask God, God, show me how to honor the people in my world even the ones who are still a long way off even the ones who are yet to make even half a step toward home help me to honor them in such a way that they know that it's okay to draw near that they're not going to be judged they're not going to be condemned they're going to be received they're going to be embraced they're gonna be restored, they're gonna be healed. And can I just put a little finer point on it? Because I believe one of the biggest barriers to that is the perception that lost people have toward us as the church. And I don't blame them for the perception because I can understand that it's partly our risk. In fact, a lot of it is our responsibility. Can I encourage you as a really practical step to be very, very wise about what you post on social media. To be very, very wise about the engagements that you engage in on social media and conversation. That before you write, before you speak, that you consider this parable And ask yourself the question in saying this, am I honoring the people in my world who are still afar off from Christ? Am I acting and speaking in such a way that will encourage them to draw near? Or am I reinforcing their perspective that will keep them at arm's length from grace, truth, and love? Honor is for God. Honors for one another, but honour is for all because all are made in the image of Christ. And we are the only ones who will carry that honour into our world. There is no plan B. There is no church version 2 coming up behind if we fail. That's the responsibility of following Christ, of following our King. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. Father, thank you that there are so many of us in this room that at some point in our journey, we, we had a moment like the younger son in the story. We, we recognized we needed something and we started a journey to you. For some of us, that was a long journey. For some of us, that journey was empowered by friends and relations who loved us enough to pray for us, reach out to us, invite us, include us, encourage us. And we are the receivers of grace. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. God, we want to be people who are known to be those who honor. Understanding that the value of every person is already set. Because no matter who they are, they're made in your image. We acknowledge, God, that nobody needs to earn honor from us the value is already set by you. So Father, help us in our relationship with you, with one another, and with those in our world who don't yet know you. That we may truly see that acting and speaking from that place of honour is the key that unlocks your kingdom in hearts that are still cold toward you. Father, use us, change us, provoke us so that others too can come home not to a bunch of older brothers complaining about all these new people in church and what's happening, refusing to celebrate, refusing to enter. in. but God, let us be like dads. Let us be like mums welcoming, celebrating, rejoicing, and restoring as we honor in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equipus Church Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.